1: A birthday being celebrated across the country today. This is NPR News.
0: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art's presentation of When Modern Was Contemporary. Selections from the Roy R. Neuberger Collection. From Georgia O'Keeffe to Jackson Pollock. Details at msmuseumart.org.
2: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump brings his campaign back to Mississippi. We'll have highlights and reactions from those attending.
3: Nearly four in ten African-American children live in poverty. Fifty-eight percent of African-American youth are not working.
2: Then, Derek Johnson, president of the state NAACP, live in the studio on Trump's recent outreach to African-Americans. And National Book Award winner and Mississippi native Jesmyn Ward on her latest work in our book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Donald Trump is appealing to African Americans and Hispanic voters while campaigning in Mississippi, a state polling strongly in his favor. Speaking to a predominantly white audience at the Mississippi Coliseum in Jackson last night, Trump talked about the high unemployment rates among black youth, poverty and broken homes. Trump says the Democratic Party has taken the African American vote for granted. He says voters have nothing to lose by choosing him. Some have criticized Trump for not reaching out sooner. And national National NBC News, Wall Street Journal, Marist poll uh, shows Trump with 6% of the African-American vote. Some polls have him as low as 1%.
3: The Democratic Party has failed and betrayed the African-American community. Democratic crime policies, education policies, and economic policies have produced only more crime, more broken homes, and more poverty than we've ever had in those communities before. (laughs) Nearly four in ten African-American children live in poverty. Fifty-eight percent of African-American youth are not working. More than 2,000 700 people have been shot in Chicago since the beginning of this year alone. Violent crime has risen 17%. And in America's 50 largest cities, it's only going one way, folks, and that's up. Homicides are up nearly 50%, in Washington, D.C., and more than 60% from last year in Baltimore. The Democratic Party has taken the votes of African Americans totally for granted, and they've done nothing in return.
2: Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump speaking at the Mississippi Coliseum in Jackson last night. Paige Higgins, who is African-American, supports the Republican candidate for president. She tells MPB's Desiree Fraser, something must be done to fix the nation's immigration problem.
4: Immigration is definitely an issue, I think, um, if you look at the United States' history... It's only been in recent history that we've just had an open immigration plan. Back in the um, past, we would close the borders whenever we had uh, low jobs on our end, you know. So we're suffering a massive loss in manufacturing. The American middle cl- class is taking a hit from that. So I think Trump is away.
1: <laughs> and he talked about African Americans. He talked about poverty, crime, high unemployment among youth. How do you feel about uh, how he depicted African-Americans?
4: I feel like Trump is no nonsense. I think what he says is true is stuff that I've said before. I think that black youth are suffering terribly and not only in a loss of jobs, but in a loss of vision. You know, if we had um, entrepreneurship being taught in our schools, I think blacks would be doing so much better educationally and um, The presidential position is not just an administrative position. He's a figurehead as well. So I feel like having a figurehead who is pro-business in this country will be immensely helpful to black Americans. Critics have said uh, that he portrays
1: African-Americans as all being poor and in poverty, whereas that is really not the case.
4: I think Trump thinks that all Americans are suffering, but I think that he's opened up the conversation to blacks out of... A demand, you know, if he's giving a generic statement to Americans, I think black Americans feel like he's not really, truly addressing them. And so the fact that he's now trying to make a statement that's reaching blacks and Latinos, I feel like that's a good, good approach rather than something that's trying to stick something to us. Because I feel like his message is universal, but not all black people feel that way. Hispanics have felt criticized by him and
1: picked on and african-americans are just now uh, hearing him speak to them uh in some in some ways you're feeling about taking so long to get there
4: i think because trump is not a politician it's been a learning experience and he goes out and he deals with the people and he responds to the people and i think any good politician is going to do that um I think he's growing with us as we grow with him and as we try to grow back together as a country. You know, all this division is is definitely not the way to go, and I feel like Hillary Clinton is going to be more of that. Why? I feel like she is an assault on t- uh, traditional American values and I feel like uh, the church and those values were helpful to blacks in the past. Um, my, my grandfather is a civil rights leader and a religious man and the church was a very strong uh, aid to bringing us out of out of suffering. So, you know, respect for that is great. You know, if you have respect for transgender bathrooms, you know, that's great, but it's not really going to help a black kid get a job.
2: MPB's Desiree Frazier with Paige Higgins, an African-American who is supporting Donald Trump for president. Ross Griffiths is from Jackson and was at the Trump rally. He tells Desiree Frazier Trump's message of returning economic strength to America resonates with him.
5: I was in steel for 32 years and watched the steel industry decay into nothing because of the Chinese coming over and taking pictures of our steel mill and our equipment and going home and reverse engineering it. I was there. I watched it happen. So I knew that what he's talking about right now could be a reality. All we have to do is stand up and say no more. And I don't like what I'm saying with Social Security and everything. Making something that I've paid for like a free handout. I earned it. I worked for it. I paid into it. I legally own it, not the government. But they've robbed it, stolen from it, depleted it, to where now you have to be 70 years old to get your Social Security. Tell me one company that will hire a 60-year-old. They don't hire 60-year-old people. They hire kids out of college.
1: How old are you? I'm 68. You
5: retire? Finally. (laughs)
1: <laughs> he talked about African-Americans, Hispanics, bringing them into the Republican fold, the Democrats take them for granted. You're feeling about that.
5: I couldn't agree with him more. I've witnessed it. I've worked with African-Americans all my life in the steel companies. When the steel companies went down, they were out of a job just like everybody else. I was in Chicago when they built the Chicago disaster housing development for the poor in Chicago and they were destroyed within 10 years because it wasn't that the people didn't have a decent place to live, is they had no jobs.
2: MPB's Desiree Fraser with Ross Griffiths, a Trump supporter who was at last night's campaign stop in Jackson. Up next, Derek Johnson, president of the state NAACP, live in the studio on Trump's recent outreach to African-Americans. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: The conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we will be here to help you understand it. Listen every day.
3: Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump in recent days has added new rhetoric to his campaign stops. The billionaire businessman has spoken directly to African-Americans from the podium, telling them the Democratic Party has failed them, and they have nothing to lose by voting for him. In the studio this morning to talk about this outreach is Derek Johnson, state president of the NAACP. Welcome, Derek. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Did Donald Trump choose Jackson because of its predominantly African-American population?
0: It appears to be the case. However, when I was looking at the speech in the backdrop, I didn't see a single African-American uh, in the crowd. Uh, there may have been others in the audience, but unfortunately, he's not speaking to the African-American community. He's, he's mentioning African-Americans as he speaks to his traditional base.
2: How does he speak to African-Americans directly? Is there a venue where he can reach more African-Americans? I mean,
0: he... we made our outreach for the National and ACB Convention, invited him to come and speak to the crowd. He, he did not honor that request. The Urban League did the same thing. There have been several venues that have invited him to come speak to African-Americans, uh, but he has denied all those requests.
2: You know, just a few months ago, he was at a rally and he pointed to a man in the crowd, a black man, and he said, look at my African-American over here. And then now he's talking about uh, African Americans have nothing to lose by voting for him. That's the rallying cry. Uh, as we said at the beginning of the last segment, the most recent poll shows him with six percent of the African American vote. Is this push by him to become inclusive to African American community? Is that uh, is well, that going
0: to work for him? Well, mentioning African Americans in your speech, uh, 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 stating. Information that feeds stereotypes, not necessarily fact, is not an outreach to the African-American community. The question I've always had, what is the policy change he's advocating for? What is he going to address? If he state that we have a high crime problem, what's the policy, as if he's elected president, that he's pushing for? He is void of any pro- policies that I've heard, not only for African-Americans, but across the board. Believe me, trust me, that's, those are not policy positions. Those are just statements.
2: He listed a lot of statistics about... Uh, Life for African Americans: violence, underprivileged, uh, poor, all kinds of things. And I saw you making notes as we were listening to that. Were his statistics correct, to the best of your knowledge? Much,
0: much many of his statistics were not correct. Uh, feed into very negative stereotypes, and and is one of the reasons why African Americans. Many of that I've spoken with. Uh, just disavow or are offended by his comments because he only he is only speaking to his base audience and he's just repeating stereotypes, many of which are completely untrue.
2: All right. So he's speaking to his base, which is predominantly white America. And we've heard reaction from white Americans who are supporters of him, who are who are pleased with what he's saying about uh including African-Americans, in his vision for America. Well,
0: it's a very insular uh, conversation. It is not about reaching out to any community, African-Americans or any other community. It is talking to a base that already exists, and unfortunately a base that many African-Americans are concerned about because it not only feeds the stereotypes, but it leans towards racial hate groups. I mean, you have a David Duke to stand up and endorse you, and I once have disavowed that endorsement for David Duke, uh, the head of the Klan, in, in Louisiana, you've had other racial hate groups to stand up and support him. The tone of his of his meetings, the tone of some of his messages are not appealing. It is a message of intolerance. Give us some
2: examples when you say he's um, stereotyping.
0: Well, you know, 58% of African Americans are unemployed. That is not an a accurate uh, a, a, a stat. But it, it feeds into the stereotype that African Americans are lazy, they don't work. That is absolutely not true in fact if you if you drive through a, a impoverished African-american community it's not a sign that they're not working it's a sign that they are underpaid and underemployed when you have a scenario where in Mississippi where the minimum wage is 725 than uh, the federal average and many individuals who work every day who change the beds at the hospital who work uh, every day 12 14 hours a day and they're underpaid we have a problem when we have state employees, who still qualify for government assistance and they work every day we
2: have a problem not with not working hard but underpaid. Trump said last night that the Democratic Party has not delivered on its promises to African Americans. Is there is there truth to that that the Democratic Party is is garnering black votes without giving results? To black voters? Political parties
0: are vehicles for agendas, and those who are involved in developing those agendas really advance the needs the interests of the communities that they are seeking to support. What I have seen over time, uh, the, uh, the, the Republican Party have had issues with African Americans, the Democratic Party have had problems with African Americans, but today what we're looking at is African Americans are part of developing the agenda of the Democratic Party. And I have not seen an active participation or outreach from the Republican Party to be more inclusive so African-Americans can be a part of developing those agendas.
2: And of course, you can't speak for all African-Americans, but when African-Americans hear Trump talk about stemming the flow of illegal immigrants and Muslims, what do they hear?
0: They hear a message of intolerance. They hear a messages from the past. You can you can close your eyes and take out immigrant, and you can put African American name in there. We once was the target of such vile. A comment. And we are very clear as a community, and I don't speak for all African Americans, but I talk to many representatives of state organization, that that discrimination, message of intolerance against one group can easily become discrimination, message of intolerance against African Americans.
2: Finally, let me ask you, his slogan, Make America Great Again, what does that mean to African Americans?
0: Uh, make it again. So is, are we talking about going back to the 1950s, the 1960s, when d- the segregation, discrimination was, was state sanctioned activities or or, or government sanctioned activities. So when you talk about the past, what past are you talking about? Is that an inclusive past? And for us, we understand what that means being here in Mississippi.
2: Derek Johnson, State President of the NAACP. Derek, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Up next, National Book Award winner and Mississippi native, Jesmyn Ward, on her latest work in our book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Well, the conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated. With less than three months to Election Day, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but whatever it is, we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. The Affordable Care Act may be facing its biggest setback yet. Tennessee's insurance regulator has approved huge premium increases and declares the state's health exchanges are very near collapse. Insurers are pulling out of exchanges in other states, too. Can Obamacare survive all this? That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MBB Think Radio.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Jasmine Ward is an author and a Lyle native. She won the National Book Award in 2011 for her second novel Salvage the Bones. In her latest work, The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race, Ward edited several essays and poems from herself and other authors on the current state of race relations in America. In today's book club she tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the collection will hold many surprises for readers. The conversation was recorded outside past Christian books recently.
6: So The Fire This Time is actually an anthology of essays and also a few poems about race in America right now. I really wanted to solicit work from writers who I admired. Um, a lot of those writers <laughs> I actually discovered on Twitter. And yeah, so like I was really just pleased with the group that I was able to gather together and also pleased with the breadth and the depth of their contributions because I you know I think that we got a a really good mix of writers and topics and subjects, and I think some of the essays are really creative, some of the poems I think they're good at like surprising the reader.
4: Where did the title come from? Mm-hmm.
6: So the title is actually a play off of james baldwin's a nonfiction collection called The Fire Next Time. At the time that I was pulling this collection together, I'm really bad at titles, so I was having problems finding a good one. But at that same time, I was also reading James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. And I've always loved James Baldwin, especially his nonfiction work. I thought, wouldn't it be a great thing if I could pay my respects to Baldwin, but then also signal that this time that we're living through right now seems to be a pretty conflicted and also troubling time by titling this collection, The Fire This Time. Maybe you could give a little summary of some of the the works that are in there. Mm -hmm. You know, this is really a collaborative effort between my editor and me. Some of the writers like I Suggested, you know, that we solicit for work. And then some of the editors, she did. I had met the poet Jericho Brown before. He's in here. A beautiful poem called The Tradition. Also, Kima Jones, I discovered her on Twitter, who I thought was, like, saying really profound things about race in America right now. So she has a beautiful poem. Clint Smith, another poet, I also discovered on Twitter. His poem is really fantastic. Casey Lehman is from Mississippi, and so he contributed an essay called The Art of Storytelling, which is really amazing, which is about his grandmother who worked in, like, a poultry factory for many years. And so the, the essay is about how he sort of saw his grandmother... Really, like, express herself artistically basically through fashion, right? And find beauty in her struggle through fashion and through sewing and you know, hats and styling and stuff like that's how she created beauty in her life. There's just a lot of great Natasha Tretheway, right? The former poet laureate of the United States, she's in here too. There's a beautiful letter by a writer who I also discovered on Twitter. I feel like there's a really good mix of new writers who maybe haven't published books yet or maybe have published only one book yet. But then also, I think there's a, a good mix with more established writers like Emily Roboto, Edward Shonnicott, like Carol Anderson, who was a historian. So yeah, I just feel really lucky that all these people like decided to contribute. What do you hope that readers might come away with? I think this book does two things well. It reminds the reader that history lives in the present. And in some of the essays, say like Carol Anderson's essay called White Rage, explicitly references several moments in history where like, our ideas about race and our conceptions of race changed. The second thing that I think that this collection does well other pieces are more personal, you know, they're really, like, personal narratives. Those pieces, I think, invite the reader into a world very, like, real, lively narrators that just seem like real people who are sitting next to you telling you a story about their lives. That that makes this issue, you know, like the one of race in America, it makes it real, it makes it personal, it makes it intimate— That it grounds you in the personal. And so I think that's a good thing because I think that perhaps some readers who are not very interested in in the idea of like reading a collection like this that explicitly is concerned with race would read these personal narratives. I think that, that these essays would like change their mind about this moment in time, about race in America right now, and would really make them see these writers as just people struggling to live the best lives that they can.
2: MPB's Evelina Burnett with author and Mississippi native Jesmine Ward on her new anthology, The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up this morning, it's Creature Comforts, MPB Season Pass, and Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, there are several ways you can listen. On our website, mpbonline.org, through the MPB Multimedia app, or search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. You can subscribe to the show right there. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. The conventions are over, candidates have been nominated, and with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day.
3: Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art's presentation
0: of When Modern Was Contemporary. Selections from the Roy R. Newberger Collection. From Georgia O'Keeffe to Jackson Pollock. Details at msmuseumart.org.